Hello and welcome to the Tea Room Talks podcast, the podcast breaking the stigma. Thanks for joining me again for another week. Now, this week it's going to be slightly different, or to me it feels slightly different. Looking into animal-assisted therapy, something that really I've had very little knowledge on or heard about really in the past... Um, and we're going to be joined by Mikhail. I'm so grateful for her time to talk to us about her past experiences, the work that she's done, and it really is such an incredible story and, yeah, such a compelling tale, really, of uh, her life and where it's got her to where she is now. So let's get into it and uh, take a listen to the chat that I had with her. So I'm joined with Mikhail Taber. Therapist specialising in animal assisted therapy. Michael, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure to have someone actually in the studio with me. <laughs> thank you, I'm happy to be here. So obviously this is a mental health based podcast and the reason and the background that you have is obviously brought you here and the first question that I'll start with is naturally your own background with mental health if you've had any experiences. As a young girl and a teenager, I never experienced uh, mental health issues. I did see it with friends from my class. Uh, I remember a few of them tried to take their own life or telling me about it, and I really wanted to support them. I didn't understand at the time how severe it is. Later on, I usually was a very happy person, actually. (laughs) But after I gave birth to my daughter, uh, I was 27, and I didn't realize that I'm having depression. It was, um, I wasn't aware at the time. I was lucky to have a very supporting environment. Uh, and only when I started to study psychology, I understood what I went through. And it happened again 10 years ago uh, when I had uh, my fourth uh, son. I did try to take medications. I didn't like the feeling. Yeah. I felt numb. Yeah. So we made a change in our lives because as a family we felt that we needed a change and we moved from the city to the countryside and it was much better. Uh, unfortunately, uh, depression is genetic and some of my children also suffer from depression. I lost my nephew two years ago. Uh, he took his own life because he suffered from severe depression. I do think that it's much more common than people are aware because when I started to speak about myself and what I experience in life, I discovered that it's almost in every family there is someone who has depression and people are very embarrassed to think, to speak about it. Uh, Sometimes parents, also (laughs) I can relate, feel... uh, that they did something wrong, that it's their fault, um, but it's not. <laughs> we, we don't have control about things that happened to our children or to ourselves. Depression is an illness like any other illness, but it's expressed in a mental way and not in a physical way. That's why medication usually helps. Yeah. It didn't help me, but it does help to other people. Uh, so, yeah, I do know. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting that you say because UK stats alone suggest that one in four people will have some sort of um, struggle with mental health, which for the average family, that's usually 
one or two people within your family are, are destined to have struggles with mental health and, and workplaces alone it's something like 85 percent chance that someone in your workforce will suffer with that which again is ridiculous really with the amount of that and the reason um on for for various industries that this needs to change because it's the people that run these industries and actually we are the people behind that Mm -hmm. and there are so many backgrounds that we have um that the rates of suicide are through the roof we have public services police officers ambulance workers paramedics that deal with so much stress and you know my background with construction and it's widely known that there's 720 deaths I believe a year which equates to two a day uh, suicides in construction UK alone which it's crazy it is crazy and I think it's one of the top if not second uh, industries with top rates for suicide because it's a well not because but it's a very male dominated industry and you know men predominantly do have a problem with coming to terms with what goes on you know and especially revealing their feelings and and being honest about it um and i'm sure you know looking at your background obviously you're from israel yes which yeah it's obvious <laughs> you know my accent <laughs> um you know if you want to just explain about your work that you you did in israel um that that you found yourself doing first want to explain what is animal assisted therapy because when I moved here um, people do- thought that I'm an animal therapist that I'm helping animals <laughs> which I am but the idea of therapist with animals is that I'm working in a natural nature environment and my um, colleagues my peers my so my partners uh, are animals it can be any animal you want. It can be a rat, which are very clever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Snake, parrots, bunnies, horses. You can go to the wild and watch birds, or if you are lucky to see deer coming through. And the environment of, of the nature and the animals is very soothing. And sometimes it can help, especially for people who are, find it difficult to speak with a the therapy can find it intimidating to go to a psychology. Yeah. <laughs> it's very popular in Israel, the animal assisting therapy. I don't think that here it's well known. N- I would no. I mean I certainly until we connected I certainly mm. had never heard of these types of therapy available which surprises me because there are so many things available like sports-based therapy, mm-hmm. activity-based therapy and so many people, you know, have pets or keen interest in animals to get people talking or just in a in a situation where they perhaps might boost their mental health it's just surprising me that it's not common here i agree but i also thought to myself when i moved here four years ago that because the nature is so close to you everywhere you go maybe it's the area that we we live in cambridgeshire so Mm. the nature is you go out of your door and you're in the nature everything is green and you can see so many animals so maybe you don't need the structure of the therapy. Um, when I worked in Israel, I, I worked in very different uh, areas with different uh, population. So I don't know if people are aware there is a conflict in Israel. And there is an area in Israel that is uh, bombed quite a lot. And I worked there, I was treating children, very young children, from age 3 to 10. 
with severe PTSD. And what was difficult with this situation that during the year that I was helping them, there was still bombing. Yeah. So you need to help them to deal with the trauma, but the trauma, every time you have a new uh, episode, something yeah. new that happens. And it was very, very challenging. The benefit in this situation was that it was young children and they were very happy that I brought them all these animals. And what I could do, I, I felt it's the only thing I could do except of you know, giving them, like having fun, is to bring animals that usually we're afraid of, uh, like snakes. And to see a three-year-old child that I know that he has such a severe fear of everything, holding the snake and uh, petting the snake, it was very empowering. So that that's the way that I could help in this case. But uh, it felt like it's a bucket that I'm trying to fill water, and there is a hole underneath the bucket, the, the water just yeah. floating. So it was quite difficult, and unfortunately, the situation is still going on. Yeah. I've been there many years ago, and it's still going on. Yeah, and like you say, you know, you're in a, a situation, you're trying to aid their mental health and their trauma. Mm-hmm. PTSD, you know, does what it says, post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, that stress and the trauma is still existing, and mm-hmm. like you say, if the bombing is still going on, it's ridiculous to think that you're trying to obviously encourage this and a situation they might have gone through is absolutely harrowing. However, there could possibly still be more to come. Yes. Um, yeah, it's ongoing. It's all the time like this. It's been like this for, I think, 20 years or even more. Yeah. So children were born into this situation and not everyone can afford moving from the city. Yeah. Because of the situation... The real estate there are very cheap, so it's very difficult to find uh, other places you can live. Yeah. Uh, so it's like they're stuck in this situation. Yeah, definitely. And and with the work that was involved, what you would do with children, was there various techniques that you would do, apart from obviously where you've said about handling, was it to, to try and make them be more verbal about what they're going through? Or is it just more behavioural, you know, like you say, overcoming fears? What was the sort of therapy that was involved? Because they were very young, uh, I'm not sure they were aware uh, of what they're feeling. It's like they were, they were born into it. So they're for them, this is the reality, the reality of bombing, the reality of fear. And what I try to do, it's to make them feel not um, helpless in a situation that you don't have any control. It can happen any second. You can play outside and the bombing can start. So I just try to give them some kind of... A feeling that they can rely on their own strength. It did help. I got some feedbacks from the parents. But I think even if it helped, it was for a very short time. I'm realistic in this yeah. case. As long as they live in this area, um, the change can be very small. Yeah, It's not a miracle. No, definitely. But they were very happy every time I came. And I did see that they have more confidence, uh, but it wasn't a cure to the situation, not in this case. No, and certainly getting them out of that situation would have 
helped, but you're almost doing the best of a bad situation to try and prevent perhaps the past trauma and you know try and make them cope with perhaps future trauma that mm. might come um so was it just children that you worked with or what was other types of um, people that you found yourself um doing this animal assisted therapy with um i also worked with uh, juvenile delinquents i worked in a boarding school we had a petting zoo over there it was when i came there it was a wreck it was abandoned and with the boys, I rebuilt it. We rebuilt it together. Most of the boys, I can't say most, but some of the boys I worked with were sex offenders. And I think in this case, the animal assisted therapy was much more meaningful. Because of what they've done and one day, what they've been through, it's very important to say that they also have been through a lot. It doesn't justify, just explain to us um, why how they got to the point they did. And um, they saw themselves as monsters. So they behave exactly the way they saw themselves. So they had very, really bad behavior. And what I tried to show them that they're not only what they did, that they have other sides, that they have a human side. So first of all, I tried to um, encourage them to help me to rebuild the uh, petting zoo. And after we rebuilt the petting zoo, we started to bring pets. So we brought goats, two goats, <laughs> and bunnies, hamsters. We had hamsters, chickens, or wonderful chickens, uh, parrots. I think we have a very, we had a very big cage of parrots. The nicest thing I saw, the thing that really. I knew that I was in the right place doing the right thing was to see that they develop compassion because these guys didn't have any compassion to anyone, not even for themselves, yeah? Mm. And through the animals, they started to have compassion because they saw the bunnies having babies and baby bunny, it's one of the cutest things (laughs) alive. (laughs) So even the toughest guy, you see, like a very big guy holding a small bunny and it just made them soft. And... It's they took uh, took down their guards, yeah, and then you can speak with them, and then you can talk with them about the soft side, and the vulnerable side, and I do it. It's not only the petting zoo; they have other people around them. They had wonderful teachers and wonderful social workers, and the manager of the boarding school was an amazing person. So it was a team effort, but I did feel that the animals had a very good influence on some of the boys over there. I I do want to say that when I studied animal assisted therapist, I always said that I will never work with sex offenders. (laughs) But somehow I did. And I think it was one of the best experiences I have because you always think about these people as monsters and what they do, what they did is, it is monstrous. It's awful. Later on, I worked with sex offenders victims I didn't really mess my head yeah. <laughs> it wasn't healthy for me but I think as a as a society we have responsibility uh, to help everyone because if we won't help these people they can go out of jail hurt other people and we also have responsibility because 
someone else heard them before they became offenders. Yeah. So I, I, I needed to explain it to myself because of the um, mixed emotion I have in this job. But Yeah, you're going to be conflicted. You know, even myself listening to this, it's hard because many people would think that they've done a wrong and mm-hmm. they certainly have. And you said it earlier that we're not here to... Um, forgive or go ahead with their past it's merely explaining their past what they've done explains who they are and where they've got to and often uh, you find with people who are abusers you get domestic abusers who obviously beat their partners Mm -hmm. and things like that often they were beaten as children or have past trauma and it doesn't excuse what they've done. It, it, like you say, merely explains it. And it's very hard because it, it is very conflicting. You know, there's very in, there's various industries that have conflicting opinions. Certainly, um, lawyers mm-hmm. and solicitors. Whenever there's uh, obviously they have to represent someone who is going through that, they're on their side because that's their client. But it's they have to have the fair representation. And certainly within this country, it's. You've got, obviously, yes, punishment, but you've also got rehabilitation Mm -hmm. and trying to get people back into society. And if they can be an asset and use the rest of their life to be beneficial, although it might be behind bars, then it's something that's beneficial to society to get something out the rest of their lives that they won't be in normal society, but for themselves, they will put what they've done behind them and make some sort of contribution whether that be, um, you know, preventative measures that Mm -hmm. they can give people like yourself indications of what trauma can relay certain other traumas. I think um, with some of the young men, they were age 14 to 21. Um, I think one of the problems that some of them didn't go to jail before the rehabilitation and some of them didn't feel that they deserve it. So they ran away, so they will send to to jail to be punished. Yeah, and I can understand that. I think first you need to pay. A person needs to pay of what is done, not only for him, also for the victim. The victim needs to feel that the justice been done. Yeah, and then you need to do the rehabilitation. Otherwise, in the cases I saw, it worked when they first been in jail, but I do have to say some of them. do have normal life now some of them i'm quite worried yeah and i think that they need more surveillance when they're out there i don't think that the punishments are always enough i think that not always justice is done yeah certainly everyone's different and unfortunately every crime is different you know and there's some people that will never have compassion no matter how much you try but some people who will change their opinions there's certainly um you know crimes aside there's people who are um you know previous um sexist racists that will come to terms with they were in the wrong mm-hmm. and look at their past life and almost dedicate it to changing you know there's there's quite a famous um influencer or person who makes videos at the moment going on social media that he used to be a white supremacist so he used to um obviously believe in those beliefs and you know believe that they're racially pure and he now because he can see the errors ways and he's completely changed his life Mm -hmm. around he offers free tattoos and tattoo removals for the people who have these insignias who are changing their lives because he would rather 
accept that what he did was wrong but contribute in a manner where people are trying to change their lives and again doesn't ex- excuse for what they've done or perhaps things and views he's done but it's more I can take the rest of my life and try and make it meaningful and there are some people like that and some people mm-hmm. who will never be like that no never yeah mm-hmm. and you know based on your experiences with the the animal assisted therapy what sort of what sort of methods or behavioural changes did you notice in people that you could see it's really having an improvement? You mentioned previously the big guys that are showing their soft side, but mm-hmm. certainly with the delinquents, what sort of methods are you seeing in really having the changed attitudes? First of all, I gave them responsibility because I wasn't living in the boarding school. So they needed to feed the animals when I wasn't there. And they were fighting. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone wanted to do this because they it was very they were very proud when they did it properly to take care of the of the animals. So they felt more meaningful. As you said, people want to feel meaning that what they're doing is very meaningful purpose in life. Mm. That I'm worth something because most of them felt worthless. That's why they did what they did, because they wanted to make change, but they don't know how to make a positive change, so to make a very wrong change. So taking care of the animals and um, build things. Uh, we build the cages. We um, when we we build the cages from nothing. Actually, we didn't have any funding funds funds yeah. for the. Uh, building so we needed to do it from scraps and it was amazing it was amazing experience and they were very excited about it and they started to show more feelings and they started to take more responsibilities and more ideas and they came with their ideas of what we can do in the petting zoo and for me as I said earlier the most important thing was compassion that they started to develop compassion to others because it started with the animals but then they started to feel compassion to other people and even in uh, one-on-one sessions I saw that they are starting to understand what they did because I did saw cases that uh, they didn't feel any compassion to their victims they didn't see that what they did was so bad mm-hmm. so do through the therapy, they started to develop compassion and understand uh, they they really hurt someone. Sometimes it was very uh, difficult understanding. Uh, it can cause a crisis after that. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. um, so we actually worked there, and I didn't have one-on-one session with everyone. I had a few of them, one-on-one session, and usually we used to talk. They really wanted to talk after we bond, we make the bonding and the connection. They felt much more comfortable to speak with me. Um, and yeah, it was a very fulfilling job, I have to admit. One of the most fulfilling jobs I had. Yeah, I mean, it certainly sounds it. You know, the effects of animals in our lives is something so vast, you know, and it's a a question that I've, I've had for you that in general for, for mental health and well-being... What do you feel that the benefits are of having animals in our lives? Obviously, you've done it in a professional sense where you've used it for therapy. I know that you have pets. I have mm-hmm. pets. What would you say the the real benefits are to have them in our lives as humans? Uh, first, it's unconditional love. Yeah. <laughs> Your dog, he doesn't care 
how we look, uh, what we do, <laughs> oh, if we did something wrong, he loves us anyway. So, and also, it's someone you need to take care of. It gives you a reason to wake up in the morning. If, if someone is very depressed and he doesn't have the energy to wake up, to come out of the bed, he knows that his dog is waiting for him and the dog can also be bothering him, <laughs> jumping yeah. around him, asking for food. So it gives us reason to stand up and get out of bed. Um, and they're also companion. Not everyone has a family. Some people live by themselves and they're very lonely. And a dog or a cat can be a very good companion. I'm, I'm not really feel good for people raising parrots. I had parrots and I used to open the cages so they can flee in the house. <laughs> <laughs> fly sorry fly in the house because I didn't feel free feel I didn't feel comfortable to see them in the cages yeah uh, birds needs to be free <laughs> yeah no that's right they yeah need to have that natural element and you've got pets there and, and like you say they give us that sense of purpose that that reason to get up in the morning it's been proven that they boost our moods mm. and boost the way that our thoughts can work because obviously we'll be something to care for but what would you say even about Um, wildlife and nature how do you feel about that when certainly in my experience dealing with depression how do you feel that it can help others or what sort of recommendation would you say to those who obviously it's easy to get yourself stuck in a rut and stay indoors but the real proven methods that wildlife and nature has what would you say um i see the nature as a natural healer um For me to go out I, I look now when we are speaking I see the green outside yep. the window it makes me feel good um, there is a reason my, why people are more depressed in the winter because um, the sun is a natural is a mood booster and also gives us vitamin vitamin D and uh, when people feel down it's very important even to sit in the porch, Or in, if you have a window and there is a sun in the room, just sit in the sun. It will make you feel better. Walking in the nature, having fresh air, it's so important. Watching animals, I like. <laughs> As a family, we do it quite a lot. Go to feed the ducks and the swans. <laughs> we always have a box with the seeds for animals. And feeding the ducks, for me, it's a mood booster. If I'm feeling down, that's what I'll go doing. Not always we have the energy to do these things. When you're depressed, it's very difficult to, to go out of the house. But maybe if you'll do it when you're feeling good, when someone is feeling well, try it. It will encourage him to do it when he's down because he will know how good it feels. So I think nature, go hug. I know it sounds ridiculous, hugging trees. It's amazing feeling. <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah. And, uh, well, I believe that every creature on earth has some kind of energy. I don't know if you agree with me that you can sit with someone and feel his energy. Yeah. So even trees, animals, they all have energies. And I like the energy of trees. <laughs> yeah. No, but you say that, but I even in this office here, yeah. I've got a terrarium here. Yeah, I and I love seeing it every day. I love to ensure that the little uh, 
micro um, system almost that I've got ecosystem that I've got in there is working and I enjoy that and I do feel that it's a living sounds bizarre but it's a living thing I've got a bonsai tree that I love tending to and it feels me that I know that it's healthy and it's growing and it's strange because I've I've never done tree hugging but (laughs) I I do get where you're coming from because it's an energy that you feel very connected to earth and it's Mm -hmm. something that people will say that um it will make you feel that yeah that feeling that you're sort of very down to earth yes. so to speak hint hint but yeah that you know, I can <laughs> see it from that point of view walking barefoot on the grass it's amazing it's it's healing I'm studying spiritual healing uh, and I started to study it because I, f- I felt connected to the nature and I found that nature is very healing um the winter here is very difficult. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. And I was really looking forward to sun, for the sun to come. <laughs> yes, I mean, when we first connected, I know that you joked and said that you found it hard in the UK because we uh, barely get any sun, which is absolutely true. <laughs> <laughs> and Israel, it's the opposite. The The winter is Israel, in Israel. It's like the summer in England. Yeah. And in the summer, it gets to... F- now it's 40 degrees in Israel. Wow. <laughs> it's crazy, but uh, it was too warm for me. I, I prefer to have the English winter than the <laughs> Israeli summer. Yeah. But it is it is difficult. And uh, I think that more people suffer from depression in the winter. And um, have plants in your house. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, th- I genuinely think that is a very good point, you know, to to recommend to people plants um you know they again they boost oxygen Mm -hmm. levels in the house they give you something to tend to as opposed to pets are brilliant but it gives you that sense of something's growing and again going back to my bonsai i was so thrilled when it flowered i felt so (laughs) such a sense of i don't know happiness because it just stayed with me and it flowered and i just felt that it was such a good situation you did a and, good job <laughs> yeah, yeah it's just how it made me feel and it, I, I think it's a really interesting situation and such an interesting topic that you've you've chatted about today you know with this animal assisted therapy I'm so surprised that there are you do get therapy animals you get a lot of um care animals certainly where people obviously need um you know they might have special um requirements you've you've uh, mentioned previously as well you didn't uh, work with children with like autism mm-hmm. that again animal assisted does help because where they might not want to interact with uh, another human they might easily with a an animal first to almost get you through that gateway how did you find working in that environment how did you how did you find that it's exactly what you said it was easier for the children to communicate first with the animals and doing that they like they opened the door for me to come in because they knew that i'm the person who brings the animal yeah. So uh, they were always, they started to be happy to see me. So they started to react to me. So quite quickly, we could communicate. Uh, some of the children I worked with didn't speak, but we could find other ways to understand each other and to, to have our own language. For autistic children, uh, sometimes it's easier to connect to animals because animal doesn't talk and doesn't have any expectation from them, and they react to what they do. So if the child is nice to the bunny, is giving her food or something like that, the bunny will come to him. So 
they can act and they see the, the react. So then they can diverse it to a person. The, it's like very contracted. So um, I really enjoyed working. I was worried at first because I didn't know how to do it. You know, when yeah. you have your first patient uh, with autism, you, I didn't know how I'm going to do it. Yeah. But then it's like any other child. You need to build a relationship. You need to build a connection. You need to build your language. And the animals were very supportive. I had a child who liked, liked cows and there was a, a farm with many cows. And we like to, we mood <laughs> to the cows and they mood back to us. So we had like, a, this child didn't speak, but we had a conversation with the cows. Yeah. So it was really nice. And he was, he was very young. So I know that later on he developed because he had, well, he had a lot of support, but it was really nice to see the interaction between him and the cows. Yeah. And I can see why you obviously enjoyed um, that progression as opposed to there's a lot more depth and almost understanding that comes with offenders you know mm. it's a very you mentioned and you brushed upon it there that it really didn't help you and you know I know it's a silly question but the eventual feeling on your mental health working with offenders how did it you know I know you said it conflicted you but how did it just make you feel with a, even job satisfaction, regardless of what you're doing day to day, but how did it actually did it make you feel that you just don't want to do this sort of job anymore? Um, I also worked later on with prisoners <laughs> in one of the most dangerous prisons in Israel, a very um, guarded prison. Um, I wasn't supposed to know the backgrounds of the prisoners, but mm-hmm. I read about them. And I recognized them because they were so famous. Um, and I also worked with sex offenders victims. And when I came to UK, I decided that I don't want to do any therapy because I need to heal. Yeah. I felt that I really damaged myself um, because... I was exposed to such a horrible stories and helping people who did most horrible things um, made me question myself. Am I moral? Yeah. Am I a good person if I can help people like this? People did the worst things because when I read about them in the newspaper, I wish they were dead. Yeah. <laughs> and when I met them face to face, I saw their human side, so I liked them. Yeah, of course. And it, it were, I had a horrible conflict inside of me. It wasn't healthy for me. Um, I'm very, very sensitive person. <laughs> very sensitive. So I couldn't go home and forget about everything. Yeah. It stayed with me. And I did have nightmares. Um, and I don't think, I don't know. I can't say because I don't know where life will take me. Yeah. Uh, but I'm happy that this part is behind me because it did damage me. Yeah. Um, yeah, it did damage me. Yeah. I think that's important to, to note, really, because, you know, for me, that's an interesting topic. And it's almost like whether you feel it or not, maybe you, you didn't have perhaps the support, you know, for the way that your work is Mm. derived, that the people would realise that you were being exposed to such sensitive stuff that 
even yourself would need support despite being a support worker you're still going to need your own therapy for some of the topics you might have and obviously that's something now within the last few years that therapists and counsellors might often need help themselves because you can't have these topics that will burden you because you shouldn't have to be that lightning rod for all the bad things that are Mm -hmm. happening out there and I I really empathise you and and, you know there's nothing wrong with being sensitive by the way it's a brilliant (laughs) character trait and I really do empathise with you because certainly in that situation I 100% agree with you where you can get that human conflict inside of you um, that someone who's utterly terrible might be a nice person to you and Mm -hmm. what the hell do you do as a human when the in-face interaction is good but the media attention is bad but it's a human interaction unfortunately it's not a uh, from my point of view it's not a good or a bad thing it's just a matter of fact that when you were dealing with them your human interaction was good however it doesn't excuse anything they've done in the past Um, so you know you know thank you so much for for sharing that and you know bringing this topic really because it's such a heavy topic and what you've done is so interesting working with animals and certainly everyone loves animals i mean i I can't imagine um the stats and figures of the amount of people who have pets in this country alone and um i do feel like it's something and a topic that you've raised certainly as well coming from israel and sharing that experience that no matter what sort of country you come from we've mentioned it before and i'm sure you agree wherever you come from mental health and poor mental health still exists it's universal i think it's everywhere i also think it's i think it always people always suffer from mental issues and there is there is much more awareness now but i do think or i do feel i'm not sure that it's much more um, common or popular, I don't know what the right word. Um, I don't know if because of the technology and the internet and people are less connecting with others. As you said, usually you don't have people here in your office. Yeah. And for me, it was very important to sit in front of you and talk with you, <laughs> not through the screen, because yeah. I, I can't do screening anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I don't feel the connection like you you feel when you are face to face. It's completely different, and people are studying uh, degrees online. Yeah, and I think we are missing a lot when we are not co- connecting directly. And I think that uh, they said there are more children with autism these days. Uh, I think it's because people are not connecting as it was when I was a child, because we didn't, we have only one channel on TV. Mm. So most of the day I was out playing with other children. And today children most of the day on the computer, on television, mental health. I think it's not healthy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and, And even with therapy, you know, a lot of the time, yes, we understand that there is online therapy, but myself if I was in that situation I'd much prefer to see someone in person because I feel like it's the interaction that's required Mm -hmm. you know and and certainly yeah something that would be beneficial Um, thank you so much for joining me today it's been really great to chat and obviously talk about these subjects and I hope you've enjoyed the the chat that you've had with me and yeah honestly 100% (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much for for being here. Thank you for inviting me. (laughs) I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. 
I think you'll agree, such an interesting story there and such an interesting background and so many topics there that were naturally brought up in conversation. You know, mental health, anyway, we we can talk for hours about, um, but the work with offenders and questions of her morality, really, and, you know, is what she's doing beneficial and should she continue to do it? It's questioned that even when I was chatting to made me feel that if I was in that situation I would be exactly the same and I would question is what I'm doing the correct thing to be doing and you know it really just shows the different lives that people live because it's so important to have these people here because rehabilitation isn't always about getting back into normal society and normal life after you've committed a serious crime it's also to ensure that you're in a manageable state for those who aren't going to be reintroduced to society that they're not going to really pose a danger to those who guard them or others around them so it's it was such a really interesting chat and and obviously the chat there about animals and you know who doesn't like animals um and of course nature and and it was really good to chat about the benefits there that of course animals bring to our lives So thanks again for listening. As always, links available within the episode description and keep in touch on our social media pages and I look forward to the chat we're going to have next week.